1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Titus.
0: Real love is calling opens up your eyes. Mercy is with every
2: sunrise. When he talks about grace, he talks about it in different tenses. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, kind of past tense. And it teaches, present tense. And then verse 13, future tense, we wait for the blessed hope of the return of Christ. So what he's saying here, basically, it's grace that brought us to salvation. It's grace that teaches us godliness, present tense. And it's grace that puts the longing in our heart for the second coming of Christ.
1: Just like God Himself, who was and is and is to come, God's grace continues through history. Pastor Gary will show us today that grace brought us to salvation. Grace teaches us godliness, and grace makes us long for the second coming of Christ. Our past, present, and future are wrapped up in the powerful grace of God. Without His grace, we are lost. But if you are in Christ today... His grace has brought you there, and it is by His grace that you are saved. Praise God for His unfailing grace. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Titus, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: There is... Nothing, I think, more, and I say this with all due respect to every woman manager or CEO, but there is nothing more, I think, in, in, in the overall economy of the family, there's nothing quite as valuable and to be cherished as a woman who simply wants to love her kids and raise her kids and is content to find that fulfillment in just simply being at home. You know, when Terry and I first got married, uh, she, she had her elementary ed degree, and uh, so she worked for Loudoun County Public Schools. And for a couple of years until we had Tyler. And when, when she got pregnant with Tyler, uh, you know, she, she said to me, I really prefer to stay home. And, and I was thankful for that. Although I can tell you, I mean, f- financially, it put a strain on us, obviously, especially in Loudoun County, you know. Um, and so, but it became my responsibility. It became my responsibility that if my wife wants to come home, I'm going to have to figure out how to try to make ends meet to make up for that. That becomes on me. And I was glad she wanted to come home. Uh, but you know, so I was a youth pastor starting out in ministry and Mondays were my day off. And so I, she left Loudoun County public schools and I went to work as a substitute teacher every Monday at Loudoun County public school to get extra income for our family and we just made that decision and it was a personal decision and this has to be a personal decision every family makes we made that personal decision we're going to tighten our belts and we're going to do what we can so that terry can be home with our kids and you know and i remember things like you know we we didn't have the luxury of buying disposable diapers for the first few years that our kids were in diapers it was cloth diapers And we just made that decision because we we decided where are we going to budget our money so that we can, you know, make ends meet and have uh, Terry home. And we just made personal decisions like that. I can still to this day smell the bleach of (laughs) diapers. In the, in, in the washing machine, and it was a wonderful thing when, you know, then over the course of time, and, and you know, you start to get a few raises, and one of the first things we we're like off the budget was like, we're getting rid of the cloth diapers, and we're going to the disposables, and I don't care if it takes 500 years for them to disintegrate on the landfill, we're going disposable diapers, and it was a wonderful treat, you know, for us, but all I'm saying is, I'm just giving you a little, a little glimpse into decisions we made because... I don't want any woman to feel any less appreciated or valued because you desire to be at home to raise your kids and to love your husband and to be a stay-at-home mom if you're able to do that because there's, there's nothing quite as valuable and cherished as a mom who gives loving attention and nurturing care to the children whom she bore. And so that should also be respected and that should be valued and I just... You know, in, in our culture, sometimes we, we, we value things because people are paid. And a stay at home mom is one of the most thankless, obviously underpaid jobs uh, that, that we should appreciate and should honor. Because nobody's gonna, at the end of the year, say, You changed 1,325 diapers, you're gonna get a $10,000 bonus. <laughs> Ain't gonna happen. There's no quota, there's nothing, there's no, you know, Christmas bonus at the end of the year, but the reward is immeasurable, and the value is to be appreciated and honored. So when Paul writes here in this language, I don't want you to look at this and think, this is just old-fashioned stuff. This is also to be understood in the context of women to be valued and appreciated who also desire to be at home and to love their husbands and love their kids. And, and that's, that's an honorable and noble, noble thing. Then he moves on. He says similar. And and when he talks about so that no one will malign the word of God in general, that can be said to anybody because when, when, when Christians don't live in a biblical godly manner, whatever the case is, it shows contempt for the word of God. That's what he's saying here. If we don't, do things in the way we live that honor God and honor the Word of God, then we end up maligning the Word of God. Then in verse 6, he says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. There's that word again. In everything, set them an example. He says to Titus, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing Bad to say about us. I, yeah, I find it interesting that there's different words used for old men. There's different words used to instruct the older women. There's different words used to just to instruct the younger women. But when it comes to the young men, it's just one thing. Young guys, be self controlled. Be self controlled. Be self controlled. And then Paul says to Titus, and it's good for you to set an example for them. By doing what is good. Uh, In verse 9, he talks about teaching slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now again, there are different places in the New Testament where the issue of slavery comes up. The the Bible doesn't condone slavery. This is simply acknowledging the reality of first century Roman Empire. You read different historians, and the numbers vary from 10% to 40% of the entire Roman Empire. Anywhere between 10% and 40% of the Roman Empire were slaves. And they were not slaves based on race. They were slaves based on They were either prisoners of war or they were indentured servants because they were people who needed to sell themselves into slavery in order to pay a debt. That was typically how the slave population was comprised. You were either a prisoner of war, you were captured as some conquest of the Roman Empire, so you were brought in as a slave if you weren't killed. Or you, as a Roman citizen, could actually sell yourself to another family, and, and there, therefore it made a, a very uh, disparaging, you know, difference between uh, cult between um, classes of people. You had the elites who then owned the lower class people, and the elites then. You know, uh, in, in owning you, you became their servant. You could buy back your freedom. You could retain your, um, you could decide you wanted to stay. But anyway, there's, there's a very complicated issue. But I, I want to clarify that the Bible's not condoning slavery in as much as this is what it's saying. If you find yourself in that situation, here's how you are to be an exemplary Christian. So that no matter what situation you find yourself in, are you acknowledging the Lord in your life? Uh, the fact of the matter is that Christianity leveled the playing field, even in the first century Roman Empire, between slaves and masters, because you would come to the church, and even what's implied here, the church in Crete, and you could have slaves and masters worshiping together in the same church. In fact, you could have slaves who were elders in the church, and they became leadership over their masters. So it was, it's the great equalizer. You know, Christianity is the great equalizer, and so in the church, you could even have that scenario where a slave was an elder with authority over his master within the context of the church, having spiritual authority. And so Paul's just saying here, you know, Titus, listen, you need to teach those who are in your church who are slaves in first century Rome, teach them how to be exemplary Christians so that Christ is glorified in any and every situation we find ourselves in. Now in verse 8, he said, sorry, verse 11, he says, for the grace of God, circle the word grace, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ I want to make sure everybody understands some of this is familiar to many of you but the word grace basically means the unmerited undeserved favor and kindness of God toward unworthy people that that we have received God's favor and his kindness we're unworthy we received God's favor and kindness even though it was unmerited it was unearned and it's undeserved God is a gracious God and I want you to notice there in verse 11 that when he talks about grace, he talks about it in different tenses. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, kind of past tense, and it teaches present tense. And then verse 13, future tense, we wait for the blessed hope of the return of Christ. So what he's saying here basically, it's grace that brought us to salvation. It's grace that teaches us godliness, present tense, and it's grace that puts the longing in our heart for the second coming of Christ. It's all about grace from beginning to end, our lives in Christ, it's all about grace. And grace is a gift, by the way. Grace is a gift. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. In Ephesians 4, 7, Paul writes, but to each one of you, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is a gift, his unmerited, undeserved favor and kindness. Now, how is it that grace brings us to salvation? Because it is God's patience with us, wooing us, working with us. Our hearts become softened by his grace that we respond to salvation. How is it then that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions? Here's how. When you and I begin to understand just a little bit about how gracious God has been to us, about how he's forgiven us of our sins, how he's redeemed us and rescued us, and he's and He's canceled the debt that we owed. When you begin to contemplate the grace of God in your life and all that God has done for you, it motivates one to holy living. You see, when, when we begin to contemplate the kindness and the goodness of God and all that he's done for us that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn when we begin to really meditate on that and dwell on that, the grace of God will motivate us to sin less. Now, when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you're sinless. It means that you sin less. Everybody got that? And one of the motivating factors to sin less is the more we concentrate, meditate, and appreciate that, that wasn't intended to be a little rap there, but you know, just the, 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 all of the goodness of God, the grace of God and his kindness extended to us. So that's grace teaches us to say no. And it becomes this, this thing in our hearts where we wait, verse 13, for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us, that's another word, circle the word redeem, to redeem us from a wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. The word redeemed means the payment of a ransom, the purchase of our freedom from sin and its consequences through the blood of Christ. When you see the word redeemed in your Bibles, in its, in its many places, not just here, this is what it means. It was often used in ancient times for this ransom that was paid to purchase one from slavery and to give them their freedom. That's a picture of all of us. When we're born, we're born as slaves of sin. Our sin nature, slaves to sin. And Jesus dies on a cross to forgive us of our sins, and his blood is the atoning price. It's the ransom fee paid for us, to secure our freedom. And he has bought us by his redeeming blood. He has redeemed us. He has given us our freedom, and he's paid the price with his blood. And so he goes on to say in verse 15, these then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. He says to Titus, do not let anyone despise you. Don't let anyone despise you. Sometimes reading through the pastoral epistles, it's hard for me when, I, when I'm teaching through it without sounding a little self-serving, because as a pastor, I'm teaching about pastoral things here. But when he says there, don't let anyone despise you, the reality is that every pastor is going to deal with people who encourage you and people who really don't like you. And, um, and I heard Chuck Swindoll one time say, and I think this is the kind of advice that Paul is giving to, to Titus. I heard Chuck Swindoll say one time, as a pastor, make sure you have thick skin and a tender heart. Thick skin, and a tender heart. I think that's what he's saying here to Titus. Don't let anyone despise you. But you need to encourage some people. You need to rebuke some people. Not everybody's going to like you. Ministry is, if you have the desire to be liked by people, never go in the ministry. I mean, just don't, you know, don't don't be a people pleaser anyway. Forget if you ever go in the ministry. That's a snare. But in general, if, if you really want people to like you, don't go in the ministry because it, you know, it just isn't going to always be that way. But let me also add, I always feel wonderfully encouraged and thankful. Uh, you know, I, I get many very encouraging emails from you and words of encouragement, and I, I really do appreciate that. But thick skin and a tender heart is whatever pa- every pastor needs to have. Let's make our way through chapter 3 here. Chapter 3, he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Okay, that's Romans 13, right? There's no authority, no governing authority except that which God has established. We we live here in in a republic. You get the opportunity to vote for those in authority, and people get elected that you don't always vote for, uh, but you have to respect the office, right? We have to respect the office. We have to respect authority. We may not always agree with authority, but we respect the office. And so we are subjected to rulers and authorities in so much as it doesn't conflict with the higher authority of God in our lives. God help us, but there might come a day when civil disobedience is something that Christians have to engage in because government and authority is asking us to do something that is in conflict with the higher authority of God's word. But until that day, it's not just whether you like it or don't. As long as it's not conflicting the higher authority of God, we need to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, no malicious talk, no evil intent to damage or destroy someone, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. And then he says, at one time, we too were foolish. He's going to talk about the days, the BC days, right? The before Christ days, before you got saved. He said, at one time, we too were foolish disobedient. We were deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. He said we we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. He says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, here's another word, circle that word in your Bible. Mercy is the deliverance from judgment, the act of God not punishing us as our sins deserve. It's a legal term. You throw yourself on the mercy of the court, you're asking the court that even though you're guilty to not impose the judgment that you deserve, that's mercy. God has given us mercy. He does not impose the judgment we deserve. What do we deserve? We all deserve Hell. We all deserve hell. God died on a cross to rescue us from hell, even though we don't deserve heaven. But in his mercy, he delivers us from judgment, the act of God not punishing us as our sins deserve. So keep reading here in verse 5. He says, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. By the way, some, some commentators believe that this is a reference to water baptism. I don't think it is. Many other Bible scholars also believe it's just a reference to the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's not water baptism, it's the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, verse 7, having been justified by his grace. There's another word, circle it, justified, means basically this, to be declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. To be justified is to be declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. So having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But, verse 9, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. He says in verse 10, warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time and after that have nothing to do with him. Listen, divisive people I don't care what the context is. It could be at work. It could be in your family. It certainly is true in the church. Divisive people damage the body of Christ. We're all different. But we have to learn in our differences to still love one another and maintain a spirit of unity. And it is easy for people to get bent out of shape and to not like something and, and, uh, and to feel wronged And then they can turn that into divisiveness. And so the the warning here is, you warn a divisive person once, and then if it happens again, you warn them a second time. And then after that, they're not welcome in the church. Because the church has to be protected, because divisiveness... I mean, listen, I'm not going to ask a show of hands, but I'm sure there could be many hands that are raised that you have a history in some church... That blew up, that split, because there was the problem of divisiveness. And it is important that the body of Christ learns to still love each other in their differences and to get along and respect each other and honor each other as unto the Lord and really be careful that there's not divisiveness. In the church family, in a church staff, wherever there's divisiveness, it has to be dealt with because it can destroy the body of Christ. Verse 11, he says, you may be sure that such a man, a divisive person, is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. And Paul ends this letter saying to Titus, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. He says, do everything you can to help Zanus, the lawyer. Hey, listen, the lawyers in the Bible, friends, they can be saved too help Zanus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. He says our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. And then typical for the way that Paul always ends his letter. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen.
1: Find the cornerstones Your connection towards your new life Whenever you're starting out doing something, people have ideas and want to run with those things in a new and fresh way. That's not altogether bad, but in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, he wanted to make it clear that having solid teaching of what the Bible says is crucial to a thriving church. Without that, you have no firm foundation to stand on. As you've been listening to this teaching in the book of Titus, what are some things you've learned or realized? Pastor Gary will continue teaching in Titus next time. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection, a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're so glad you joined us today to learn from God's Word. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit CornerstoneConnection.cc today. You can listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings with you on the go. In the meantime, think about what you heard today and take some time to read through the passage again, meditating on what God's Word says. Join us again for our next edition in the book of Titus as Pastor Gary will continue here on Cornerstone Connection.